Well, welcome back to the Dorm Radio Gamescast. As always, I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm joined by my lovely cohort of co-hosts, Brett. Hello. Wyatt. Hello. And Alex. I'm a head bop dispenser. You know? <laughs> you don't get the chance to explain that. I, I, I disallowed. You know, I wouldn't explain it either way. Whenever I mention or explain you to, to anyone that I know, I just say he's that that's what that's what you are. I just use that. <laughs> and they're like, I get it. We're, I understand. We're professionals doing this for we got years of experience in the podcasting industry. Yes. <laughs> Very uh, experienced streamers. All right. Well, it's episode one thirty four. We're going in on Todd Howard's wild ride because it was the eleventh anniversary of Skyrim just a few days ago. And if you don't remember, Skyrim released on eleven eleven. Now it's the eleventh anniversary. So in this totally not Skyrim-themed episode, we're just using this launching pad to talk about other things. <laughs> all the Skyrim things that need to be said have since been said, especially considering that a 20-hour-long analysis of Skyrim dropped. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 10 hours into it. So. God. Joseph Anderson looked at the, uh, at the time code for those videos and wept. <laughs> it is very funny. Uh... Man, I, I applaud the people that have the willpower to put together a 20-hour analysis of a video game that is so yeah. exacting that, I don't know, I feel like you could take some notes off of this and learn a good few things so, like, for do a they game just, made 11 like, years ago. Do they go over, like, every major quest yep. as well, just to, like, f no. Yep. Every no, single did. one. They oh go into everything, they go into the socio-political, like, background of the Civil War. <laughs> This feels it's like insane. this wow. feels like an April Fool's joke that has the most amount of work put into any April Fool's oh, joke. I've but ever it's heard. largely very negative. <laughs> That's the thing. It's it's That's done out of a desire weird. to improve. That's what it's twenty really hours for someone to say it's about a four out of ten. It's twenty hours of intense an analysis of every single quest line to be like, this is exactly why this should have been different and been better, but they <laughs> ran out of time. So we didn't get that. <laughs> it's very fun. It's an interesting look at the way things have changed because he, he uses a lot of clips of interviews and whatnot and goes back to, like, actually cite sources, like the developers talking about the game. Yeah, which professional. Is released, which is something that a lot of these multi-hour reviews don't do. Yeah. There's a lot of background info here, which is very handy. It's almost a very long-winded documentary series. <laughs> I would put it. Incredible. It's such an amount of work, especially for someone that I think stated they don't play with any mods. <laughs> oh, wow. No. So, <laughs> pretty crazy. This is all true game feedback. Alright, well, we're first going to get into what we always get into, which is the news for this week, which is not that much, pretty thankfully. Light. Pretty light week. Aside from Mick Gordon. Yeah. Coming in yeah. and dropping a hot document. It's about Going time. Into... Oh, this one. So you might remember about a year ago, if not a little bit longer, we talked about the Mick Gordon incident of there being like some stated unprofessionalism between Mick Gordon and the developers of Doom in software, where some vitriol had happened and there was much of soundtrack drama about whether or not it would get a release. Uh, what was being done. Mick basically went radio silent after Marty uh, had made a... Uh, Marty Stratton, the studio director, had made a open letter on Reddit 
This document is a stage-by-stage stage teardown of that and is written to be a legal document. This was mm-hmm. clearly written with research and uh, a way that this is not ambiguous. This is not an ambiguous document like other responses. It is a massive, massive medium post uh, with a timeline of events, everything that has been called and gone through here. So I encourage you to read through this if you want to. It's it's far too long for us to give a good yeah. overview of. But the gist is uh, Marty O'Donnell... Not Marty O'Donnell. That's Halo Composer. I'm, I'm mixing Marty Stratton <laughs> and Marty O'Donnell. Leave him alone. <laughs> uh, leave Marty O'Donnell alone. He's had enough trouble. Mick Gordon has stated he hasn't been paid for over half of Doom Eternal's music. Crazy. Because they used a bunch of music that were rejects or mock-ups or demos that were not meant to be part of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. They they were not the professional level stuff. They were like, you know, the pre pre production. It's what. Video games go through the same process of, like, you create things, you don't like them, you throw them away. And then you take a, take the things you do like and you make them better. They took the things that he didn't like <laughs> as well. Didn't and make so them better. <laughs> didn't make them better. Did it very poorly. Um, yeah, the Doom Eternal OST with uh, Mick Gordon's name put onto it was announced and made available for pre-order before he was contracted for it. Though he had not even been, like, paid to do this, uh, or signed an agreement to even produce a soundtrack. And apparently he got no response for nine months, so there was a nine-month delay before he could start working. Or a seven-month delay, and then a couple other months of back and forth or something. Uh, He received the contract on March 18th, which was 48 hours before Doom Eternal released. Boy. Boy, howdy. <laughs> the delay that got announced of the soundtrack was announced before Mick was actually under contract to produce the music. Hey, guys, so the person that's going to do all this music that we promised to fans, uh, he doesn't even know he's doing it. Maybe we should delay it. <laughs> what, a, what a cool prank. <laughs> yeah, he also had a 29-day oh limit to produce the soundtrack, which is not a lot for a full soundtrack. At game. all. Mixed yeah. and mastered, um, especially because video games you tend to not have soundtracks cut to song length. They're mm-hmm. typically like the length of a loop, so you can play them yeah. in loops and they'll have like an well, intro also, and an outro. Well, also like like scores that you hear on like Spotify or or on a record or whatever are often mixed very differently than than how they are in a game yep. as well. So you yeah. have to go through, you have to go back through all the work that you did mixing it for the game itself to like remix it. For Especially in cases where phone. there is music that adapts to different things so that you don't have like a set mix in the game, um, which is wild. So then there was some additional uh, stipulations to this that id Software would have complete creative control and access to all the source material of the artist's files, which is... Oh, just a weird contract. It's not necessarily an unknown, but with that time limit and a bunch of other factors, it's very anti Mick Gordon, yeah. essentially. Um, especially the creative control is just a weird thing. Like a- access to the source files is not a huge issue, but the com- creative control aspect is bizarre. It's very strange to take that away from the composer. Um, Thirteen days before the deadline, there was another reveal of information that had been withheld from Mick Gordon, that there is potentially legal trouble because they took pre-orders before it was under contract. 
Uh, and then there was an internally produced OST that was all edited without Gordon's um, knowledge or consent that had been worked on for six months prior to this. <laughs> and up into the release of the soundtrack on April, 8, April 16th, uh, which was the deadline for the soundtrack to be produced after that 29-day process, he was cut out of the process, and they decided to release the alternative version instead of the Mick Gordon version. It's like, what? I don't know what to Lauren say. Lauren was also not allowed to hear the final album before it was released. More and more nowadays, we're just getting things in the game industry that are just comically evil. Like, real people shouldn't behave like this, and yet they are <laughs> which is, this is this it, is the kind of shit that you see in like a bad rom-com where like the main character's corporate boss is screwing them over yeah yeah, way, yeah. like now there's oh more to this there's God. this is not done yet and this is i think the most important part of does just it get more cliche <laughs> it gets more bizarre so right after the release that was uh, this was when the soundtrack was like universally we talked about this uh, that week about the soundtrack being poor quality and not yeah. well mixed and mastered, really and people noticed it really quickly, and there were tons of posts going on about like why the soundtrack was not up to the quality standard of other McGordon music. Mm -hmm. um, then, Marty Stratton asked McGordon for assistance in addressing the situation. Uh, McGordon states he made himself entirely available to Marty and committed to, to satisfying disappointed customers with, better, with a better OST. Marty made it clear he wanted to be involved, saying he wanted a positive outcome, had no ill intentions, and wanted to resolve the issue professionally. He offered to draft a joint statement addressing the situation and plans to move forward, and he requested that Mick Gordon hold off on making further public comments until we could address the public together. Marty told me to expect the draft within hours, but it did not arrive. So he didn't get this draft of a statement, and instead, a couple days later, the Reddit post, the open letter, went out with no knowledge from Mick Gordon and behind his back. Mm-hmm. Apparently, McGordon was also <laughs> offered a six-figure sum of money to not talk about this, and he declined it. I can't imagine a good why. Person. <laughs> <laughs> this is bizarre. Uh, in issuing the statement, his final closing word is, is, in issuing this statement, I'm exercising my right to defend myself, and he states that there was a lot of personal attacks on his character, which is absolutely true, that have been done in the timeline between yeah. this. Um, because no one had any other knowledge of this outside of what Marty Stratton had posted. So, well, and all, all of the uh, all of the posts from from anyone from ID Software on the subject basically just threw him under the bus when he had absolutely or pointed to, to Marty's statement. They like, yeah, there, there was not other talk about this. From what I from what I remember, Super strange. From what I remember, when when all of this had first happened, when Doom Eternal first came out, they were like, yeah, he just wasn't available and we weren't able to talk to him, like, ever yep. about anything. And that was their, like, excuse, but I guess that just isn't true, <laughs> like, at all. Mm -hmm. So that's that's great, fun, very cool. Yeah. Super strange. Uh, we're going to get the other bit of weird news out of the way. Uh Disco Elysium has been undergoing a process of... Uh, for people that are not in the loop, Studio Zaum, the creators of Disco Elysium, 
had a big falling out, and by falling out, I mean one of their shareholders forcibly took over the company and ousted the creators of the game. Whoa. This yeah, happened a couple time. weeks ago. Uh, since then, the game's developers that are still interested, uh, Robert Kurvitz and Alex Alexander Rostov, the game director and art director of the game, uh, they have a minority shareholding of that studio, Zom Studio OU, uh, which owns everything related to the game, supposedly. So now they are in the process of possibly suing Studio Zaum to get the rights to Disco Elysium back. Go them. Yeah. <laughs> they deserved it. They made the game. Uh, listen, guys, Godspeed. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Wow. Yeah. What, a, what a crummy situation to be in. That really sucks. Yeah, it's bizarre. There's a lot more to this one as well. Uh, it goes into some more allegations that are very serious about mm. potential fraud and the fact that the shareholder who ousted them may have not been legally a shareholder at the time because they purchased the shares with money from the company. Or some oh. bizarre thing like that. Some weird so they are going to get so they are going to get ownership of the game back. I don't know because I do not understand the intricacies of international financial laws. This is definitely a situation that's going to go to a lawyer somewhere because it is complicated and far above layman's terms in terms of what is doable. Yeah, um, sounds like it. In better news, Control Please? Two has been greenlit. And Remedy Entertainment has signed into an agreement with 505 to co-develop and co-publish Control 2. The words of note here are co-develop, because originally it was wholly developed by Remedy. So I think this is probably just because they have more going on as well. They have some Mm. other projects that they're working on, if I can remember what those are. They they had a few other... Are they doing the uh, Alan Wake remake, or is that a different... Yes, uh... yes, that's what... Okay. They're working on Alan Wake 2. They're working on a Max Payne 1 and 2 remake, supposedly. Yeah. Some other Busy. weird stuff. There's a code name, Vanguard. That's a game that doesn't we don't know about it at all. Call of Duty Vanguard 2. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Definitely not. All right. Yeah. That's the, the big stuff from this week. Uh, finally, as well, Dark Souls Remastered has online back. Yay. The process of, of online for those games, which has taken almost a full year. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did forget the other bit of uh, bit of news that came out. Yeah. Not that no anyone who watches this podcast knows about this already, but uh, God of War Ragnarok is here, and it's oh, yeah, getting yeah. and it's getting tens thrown at it, just 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 <laughs> hucked in its general direction, uh, and. I'm I'm playing it right now. I know Ryan's playing it right now, and uh, while we're on the podcast, yeah, <laughs> literally, literally right now, I'm playing with my feet. Um, very I'm very totally good game. Not installing Skyrim mods. <laughs> Gamers find a way. Uh, but yes, very good game so far. I'm sure we're gonna save it for a uh, a games club at some point in the future. But yeah. This will be a, it'll be a weird one. I don't think we'll have the the same turnaround time because of a number of out of our control things going on over yeah. December and January. Right. So podcast might look a little weird those times too. I might be gone for a few. Uh, we'll try and keep things going at the regular cadence, but 
it'll be a, a time. <laughs> we'll see what happens yeah the only only thing of note there is there may not be podcasts uploaded to spotify for that duration but they'll be on there as soon as i am back mm-hmm. in a position to upload them but the youtube should still have everything so yeah we're gonna go through that and figure that process out but things will be wacky for a little while good old moving all right <laughs> <laughs> Now it's time to talk about our, our topic for today, which is the jumping off point is talking about Skyrim's 11th anniversary. And the reason I wanted to mention Skyrim is I think bizarrely compared to any other franchise, the Elder Scrolls and in particular Skyrim has had a staying power that is just not matched by anything outside of like Minecraft. Right? It's It's been around for so long that... It's just an institution at this point. And the weird thing, comparatively to a thing like Minecraft or a thing like World of Warcraft, which I think would be your other examples for games that have stuck around this long, Skyrim doesn't get, like, frequent content updates. It no, doesn't they have... got the... No, not at all. Their most recent one, and pretty much the... the I, I don't really count Creation Club overall. But yeah, I creation there is weird. The, I would count the yeah. anniversary edition, but not yeah, the anniversary club. edition is what I would count for that because before that, it was just uh, it was special edition, and then before that, it was the DLCs that came right after release. Yeah, so interesting timeline of of enhancements here, and what I want to talk about with this is how how games end up having this sort of staying power. And staying in discussions and topics, how can a 20-hour video essay about a game drop 11 years later <laughs> and actually get views? That's the uh, the crazy thing. you got to have people that are willing, like myself, to watch a 20-hour analysis of Skyrim well, for no it, better it, reason than to, to learn about it. It is an interesting topic because I feel like it's it's kind of like a spiritual successor part two to our episode last week, which was about yeah. what makes games stick out to us. And when I was coming up with, with how I wanted to tackle this episode, I was coming across a lot of the same things that I said, and I think a lot of us said in the last episode. But one thing that I don't think either of us mentioned and I think is really relevant to Skyrim specifically is, man... Meme culture can can just send something mm. ten years ahead of its of its expected mm. shelf life, mm. right? Yeah, that, that's something I, I talked about Metal Gear Rising last time, but I didn't talk about the meme culture, which is probably yeah. the main reason that game has stuck around. <laughs> is, yeah, it straight up like came yeah. back out of obscurity. It, yeah, it's had a resurgence this year for some reason yeah. of yeah. Metal Gear Rising memes, um, and I I wonder what makes a game memeable in that sense. Is it the nanomachine sun? Is it the Skyrim's wonky physics and bugs? Is it an arrow to the knee? Well, there's... Hmm. Oh, there's, there's so much. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to dissect. Yeah. I think using Skyrim as the, uh, the base plate here to kind of lean into to talk about how it's stayed around so long, because... At its core, if you watch all of these long-form Skyrim dissections, most of them come to the conclusion that Skyrim is not the best game. <laughs> I think one one of the things that I thought originally when we when we we brought this topic up mm-hmm. was um oh it's going to be you know the modding community because people keep creating oh, yeah. content for it and it becomes almost like this fan-made live service almost uh, yep. with with the amount that like mods of 
an insane quality are getting pushed out and worked on by yours truly. Hi. Um, but I don't think it's the presence of modding in a game that guarantees it to be long lasting. Cause I'm, I don't know. I don't know many other games that have been, you know, almost forever in the public eye since they got out that really support modding. And yeah, to I think the GTA level of is games of Skyrim, a not a close comparison, but a very distant comparison because GTA does have a a pretty large modding scene, but that's certainly not the reason that game has stuck around because GTA players on console don't play with mods; they play the yeah. game, and they've played it for the last ten years with no disruption. It's just been a there, constant thing. There's also I raise the um, you. Huh? I raise you the Pokemon ROM hack because anytime there is like the official Pokemon release comes out and it's bad, which looks like this one is actually looking to be pretty good and innovative for, for once in the last like hmm. 10 to 15 years. Okay. Uh, but anytime a Pokemon release comes out and it's bad, well, my friends just go play. Oh, this, this ROM hack was made by like one Italian guy over the period of like <laughs> six years. Let's just. <laughs> Let's let's Go see what it's it. like, and it's like the coolest, most random, like weird stuff amalgamated from all like the newer games put back in like the Emeralds engine, basically. If you can call that an engine, I guess it is. But it's it's Loosely, it's yeah. not the same thing. Uh, but it's like you're basically making an entire game out of the scraps of an old game, which I know some Skyrim mods absolutely do yeah, that. Very similar. Yeah. I think that's definitely a big part. I, I The reason I, I give a lot of respect to the modding community for these is it's almost like mods have a built-in hype cycle mm. that rivals, and really only for Elder Scrolls. Because uh, you can even look at like Fallout, which has the exact same level of modding that you can do to it, but Fallout does not have nearly the I, depth of mods that exist for Skyrim and the sheer amount that happens. Yeah, and and you don't really hear about them being publicized, but you don't hear like yeah, you'll maybe hear about like one occasionally. But Skyrim, like people are tracking uh, the Morrowind remakes that are or the Morrowind overhauls to bring the entirety of Tamriel in the Morrowind. That's been going on since before Oblivion was released. God. <laughs> It's for for the sense of scale here. Uh, Oblivion has the same projects going on to bring all of Morrowind into Oblivion, and now Skyrim has the same project to bring all of Oblivion and Morrowind into Skyrim. <laughs> I'm decently sure there's also a demake to bring Skyrim into Oblivion. I feel like that's, that's crazy. Possible. I, <laughs> yeah, I think it's totally possible. But um, I, I think those oh. mods end up bringing this kind of mythos around themselves. In terms of how they're developed and the fact that they do make meaningful progress, but you see it so rarely because you can't often download them to play mm. um, outside of the Morrowind mods, which are, I think, playable through the state that they're completed in as they go, which are largely very good. Uh, I messed around with some a year or two ago. You're talking about Skywind specifically? Not Skywind. The Morrowind, they're mods for Morrowind. Uh, oh. Project Tamriel, maybe. That might be the name. I don't 100% remember it. Mm -hmm. It is the uh, the Morrowind massive project to add a ton of world spaces to things. Oh, Tamriel Rebuilt. That's it. Project Tamriel is the one for the more modern game. Mm -hmm. but it's bizarre. I do think these add a ton of lifetime to them, but I, I wouldn't credit them as being the main reason. Mm -hmm. Just because 
that I think they give a lot to meme culture especially, but your average player is not going through the process to install Legacy of the Dragonborn <laughs> on their uh <laughs> Let their me just close that game. window. Is <laughs> <laughs> it modding you end up with a, a much more restricted view of it if you're on consoles or you don't have access to a PC powerful enough to handle the larger mods because they're not built with any concern for performance generally. <laughs> No, no, at all, which makes sense because performance is very difficult to handle in an engine that is not one that is like exposed to you. You don't have access to seeing some of what the engine for Skyrim can do because the developers don't want to give you their source code for everything. Sometimes the devs aren't even sure it seems <laughs> from the things that happen in the official game. Look, you know, uh, the person who made a feature retired or something. Nobody knows. How how to use it anymore yeah it does happen i'm sure they took the code with them to their grave and I, I the other thing you have to keep in mind too is that bethesda definitely plays into like how popular skyrim still is and i feel like it wouldn't mm -hmm. be where it with is them, today if they hadn't released it 10 plus times beforehand yeah, right and a lot of that releasing because... it on every platform possible yeah. including and, and the amazon alexa and, and I think from their perspective, a lot of it is like this game was so well received when it came out that we just got to keep this going, right? Yeah. And and every time they release it, you always bring in slightly new, you know, like a uh, slightly higher number of people. And because things like Fallout 4 didn't have the same reception, they're not really supporting Fallout 4 in the same way because it just didn't uh, resonate in the same way at launch as Skyrim did at launch. I do wonder, this is a thing that gets talked about a lot in like game circles and whatnot is how popular different genres of fiction are so you take the a look at like fantasy is one of the most popular fiction genres the <laughs> actual most popular right now is like gta style stuff at least for video games gta is still like top of the pack in terms of mass popularity but fantasy wow. is up there with that as well as like modern warfare and stuff like that but i wonder what the the difference in engagement numbers would be between a fantasy project like Skyrim and something like uh, Fallout detached from name now, just because I think fantasy is also an oversaturated genre, yeah. largely. So I think you really do need the name recognition of something like Elder Scrolls to be able to make an impact I, I think a, we a could, good launch. I think hopefully we can see how or how, how that plan pans out when... Uh... Oh God, what is Avowed? When Avowed comes yes. out? Yeah, yeah. Because there's just no competitors right now. Nothing no. on the scale of a AAA project. There are indie competitors, but the indie competitors tend to be very small scale because it turns out making a first-person open-world RPG where you can it's interact hard. with every object in the game is extremely difficult. Very hard. <laughs> there's a reason Elder Scrolls games are buggy, and it's because by the nature of this type of thing, you're having a lot of moving parts that all need to be interactive and something is going to break eventually and you will Especially when nothing you can do yeah. about it. You're working with an engine that is outdated and works against you every step of the way that it can. And and yeah. there's a reason it's taken so long for whatever Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be. You know, there's a reason it takes so long for that to come out. Not just because they're trying to ride out this Skyrim wave as long as they humanly can, but because it's really hard. It's all-encompassing and they probably want the scale of this project to mm -hmm. to you know be bigger than Skyrim which means it's just going to take that It's also the more. approach <laughs> to sequels that Bethesda takes in general is not they don't make iterative sequels they change things dramatically 
uh, almost along the lines of something like a Final Fantasy. They're not going to do a a sequel that is just Skyrim but more. They're going to do something that is Skyrim with wholly different mechanics. Um, yeah. It, it, I think you can look at like look at Fallout 4 to Starfield. There is you can recognize some things that exist just because they're in the same engine. Like some of the gun handling looks a little bit similar, but I have no clue the one-to-one that happens between settlement building in both of those games, because I think it's going to look wholly different. Uh, There's clearly a different attitude. The whole different planet system, I'm sure, had to be an entirely new thing that they made. So I just wonder what this is going to end up looking like, because they're using the same engine for all these projects, so Mm -hmm. things are getting lumped into it. Maybe we're going to get some cool different planets to go to Elder Scrolls 6. Is that the escalation? Travel travel to the moon. Crazy. Moon moon is hot right now. (laughs) Moon fantasy is hot. The dwarves went to the moon. Yep. Uh, Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting too, to compare how Bethesda have like in a way supported Skyrim for so long. They've supported it by re-releasing it and keeping it in everyone's minds. And you compare that to something like, Another game that I was thinking about that sticks with people is No Man's Sky because that gets several updates every year that dramatically changes the game in some way. Like they, they have very whole new systems for players to interact yeah, with. To they have very like things. they have very focused specific updates. It's like this update along with some quality of life stuff is going to like dramatically overall overhaul how how like capital ships work. This is going to like add a whole new like settlement management system uh, and all this stuff. It's like they have very focused updates, and so when you take them, you you add them all together after a span of time. It's like this is a very different game than the way it was, and more yeah. often than not, it's for the better. I've never ever seen, I've never heard of an update in No Man's Sky that wasn't received well. These, which these is are updates. Astonishing. These are updates. They're not DLC, right? Yeah, free updates. Free updates, like for free updates, and they release maybe two or three a year, something like that, and not a single one of them has been poorly received. How? I imagine the the attach rate of No Man's Sky has to be pretty large on most devices now, just because of yeah, it goes on sale often enough, but it's never so low that they wouldn't make a lot of money from a sale. So and that and that game, I would say. Like, it came out in 2016, terrible reviews, one of the biggest disappointments of that year, right? or whatever year, 2016, 20, I don't remember. Um, one of, probably one of the biggest disappointments uh, before Cyberpunk comes out, right? Um, say a little prelude like, to a 2077 title. Yeah, well, exactly. But, like, but, but it's stuck with us for so long because, first of all, the insane redemption arc of that game and the perception mm-hmm. of that studio and that game, but also just high quality updates you know three or four times a year and it sticks with you it 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 brings it it keeps itself going because it just always mm. is improving itself in some way you can also tell uh well i'm completely blanking on the studio behind no man's sky but they they have multiple hello games hello games, games yeah. yeah they have multiple teams going because there's the team upkeeping no man's sky and making new content and then there's the team's working on the smaller projects they're doing, like Glass Campfire, which came out yeah. was reviewed very well. Uh, yep. It's just like a, a neat little indie game to play. So they have other uh, projects going on. They're not just yeah. doing No Man's Sky, and they're probably cycling people in and out. And yeah. I think it's getting some a lot of fresh ideas to No Man's Sky, and it's l- lending it a longevity, both in terms of new content and player base. Mm-hmm. 
apparently they're working on they're working on a title right now that they have said is even bigger than No Man's Sky, which I'm oh, like, guys, guys, last campfire down. was great. <laughs> Scope, 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 you, scope. You've, you've got uh, your, you've got your big, all-encompassing open-world universe. You can't get much bigger than that, guys. I, what, what are you talking about? Anyway. You, you want to make something bigger actually, than like, billions of planets? Yeah, that, that's the thing. No! I'm not really sure. People, people might think they want more than that, because people always think they want more. But do you really want more than that? No, well, you really want there's already one a... more of the interesting planets rather than it, yeah a billion, a billion more random cares planets yeah yeah I don't know. that's I, I think the only possible exception to that we'll see when Starfield comes out and if this is actually a pipe dream or is a possible thing with the modding tools is man mm. all that open space for modders oh god crazy modder creates mm -hmm. just modders creating their entirely own planets yeah oh, no man so much space to use into Starfield. We can have mods that don't all exist in the same world space and constantly conflict with each other all the time. Yes! Right now, I'm imagining, dream. I'm imagining a bunch of, like, mod creators on Twitter being like, Guys, guys, I've picked this planet for my mod. Stay away. This is mine. Oh my <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What about, what if, like, with that whole thing with, you know, having your own, like, planet to mod to yourself, you can mess with the physics engine? Oh, I'm sure that's not oh, going to be possible, yes. but I would love it oh. more. <laughs> I have zero hopes that that is a thing that you can do, uh, largely because you don't need it. That is not a thing that is or, necessary. <laughs> or even better yet, someone's going to be like, "Man, you guys are already using existing planets. I'm just going to go make my own. Screw it." Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure make they're going to figure my own planet with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> with the the level of stuff you can do in Skyrim now, that's different than what you could do before. Is the mod list that Alex and I have been playing is actually just Elden Ring, but Skyrim. They have just converted <laughs> Elden Ring's mechanics into Skyrim. And it's you now have weapon arts. Weird. You have weapon arts, you have... It, they've completely decoupled the left and right click system, so instead you have a single button to attack and a single button to do a power attack, and then you block with the other button. So, you know, you always have access to blocking, which is very handy. Um, it's wild. It's The level of difference you have with that just changes the game completely. Which I, I bet that's a big part of why Skyrim stays relevant on PC, but for other platforms mm -hmm. that don't have that benefit, it's just the, the staying power of people wanting, at the base level, a fantasy first-person game. Yep. This is the core of, of I think, the, the thing here, is just genre availability. There is, yeah. there is a mod shop on consoles that isn't Creation Club. Not that it's the yeah, same... Yeah thing at all and it's not nearly as extensive as what you it can does have a like lot of the same mods. mods there's a lot of mods that are translatable to that but the there is a limitation on the technical end where the engine of bethesda uses a scripting thing called papyrus which is their own kind of inbuilt language uh you can do papyrus mods on console and whatnot but the problem is the engine of skyrim was built with very strict memory limitations and other hardware limitations that make it extremely difficult to have more than a couple of Papyrus scripts running at a time. Which means, if you run any number of intensive mods at once that all use that, they break, and the game crashes, which is where Skyrim gets its notorious instability from. On PC, there's a thing called SKSE, which is a script extender that lets you script without Papyrus, and do lots of other things that are much more efficient and don't need to hook into that system at all. 
so you you have a lot more compatibility that way um and more things you can do and and back to the like mods available mod availability on console wasn't uh the forgotten city uh one of the mods that's available on console i think forgotten city is i think forgotten city is entirely papyrus based because if if you can do it where it's limited in a world space that isn't normally accessible it's generally fine Mm -hmm. Because then you have full control over what's going to be running at the same time. Yeah, uh, it's the same reason I think then. Legacy of the Dragon Board is console c- capable. I ah. believe it is. Um, because you, you can do most of those scripts through Papyrus uh, without causing any huge issues. It's variable. It's, this is the thing that gets complicated with game design and development. is You, you run into technical limitations of hardware that will cause huge problems, especially for mods, where you don't know what is going on under the hood, and you kind of have to wait for people to reverse engineer whatever's happening and come up with extensively detailed Reddit posts and YouTube videos to go into how to actually make the engine work, (laughs) which is, you know, people that do it, I I have endless respect for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a process. Um, But yeah, I think that's the, uh, the Skyrim side of the issue, is just blanketly if mods are probably number one factor just in terms of there aren't any other games that are that moddable outside of like gmod and i don't think a lot of people are going to go play gary's mod right now <laughs> that's definitely oh, falling out of favor i think the, the age say. of gary's mod has passed us the age the age of gary's mod stopped through no fault of its own because everyone grew old got new computers and didn't re-download everything so now when you go oh you want to play <laughs> gary's mod with me dude okay yeah sure and you go to join your friend and there's the list of things that you don't have you gotta sit for an hour that you have to have yeah. it's just not worth the time it's, and it's also it's, just, it's an hour just to join the server if i can sit there for a day for skyrim modding because i know once it's done i can play you make a day out of it it'll work yeah yeah it'll work well <laughs> Skyrim, yeah. so maybe it'll work, but if it does, <laughs> you're fine. Um, yeah, definitely that's the, the modability side, but I also think it's just, that, again, genre is a huge thing of, like, fantasy is always popular, but it's also always oversaturated. So good fantasy becomes even harder to look for, and this mm-hmm. is where the, the criticisms of Skyrim's, like, writing and quest functionality uh, come into play of, like, it's just not adapted super well that's largely just because it's huge it's so many things in that game that the team at the time which was relatively small i want to say by today's AAA standards all had to do all of that <laughs> so you have a you have a time limit of you can work on you can work on this quest for like three days and then you gotta move on or else the game won't ship um i'm sure that was a, a big consideration for skyrim especially because uh, looking at delays for Starfield, whatnot, I'm sure they were running into that same problem again. Of Makes we sense. have a set amount of time to that we can dedicate to things, and so even if we want the Civil War to be this huge reactive thing that you can have all sorts of different factions come in and and take part, and you can have different mechanics for it, we just don't have time to do it. And so we're and not. And that's do where it. the cutting room floor. Mod and that's comes where mods in. come in. <laughs> that's yeah. where the benefit of the modding community is: is they can now go do that for you. Uh, which sounds cynical, but is actually really cool because you can see different people's takes on it. Um, you might play with different versions of a quest line depending on what you're feeling that time, um, which can be really cool. There's fun things to do that way. And it's the reality of video game development is you don't have endless time or else people will get really mad as they are with Elder Scrolls Six because it's been a really mm. long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
every time I hear that name, I start to age in <laughs> dust. And when when you think about it, too, we've been talking about, like, a little bit about, like, meme culture, modding community, all this stuff. It's really, I, I feel like it's all under the umbrella of a game's community and how passionate they can be about something, how vocal they can be about something, yeah. and how well you treat that community, mm-hmm. I think, is the other really important thing. Like, No Man's Sky, its community was mostly, like, actively hostile. <laughs> like, but, you know, they came out with regular quality updates. They treated well, they went radio silent their... for a good amount of time, yeah, which was probably the exact right move. <laughs> Yeah. Like, we're not going to engage just, with anything. We'll let people don't speculate. Don't say anything. You can't yeah. say anything wrong. They they started just coming out with, with quality updates at a consistent rate. And, they and then once they got their the goodwill community. back, that's when they, they upped the communication and start talking constantly to people. And, to, and also, it's all, almost every single update targets something that the community talks about and complains about the most. That's the next update, you know? Yeah. Like... Let's let's add cool new traversal. Let's add story improvements. Let's constantly make bug fixes. Let's do tons of uh, quality of life improvements. It was all about appeasing the community in a good and healthy way. And so the game has been able to last as long as it has because of that. And I think Skyrim is a very similar way. That community loves that game because they've been able to share about it and talk about it for so long. Yep. And I do think there's also a little bit of another layer to this that is entirely not anything to do with Bethesda, but it's to do with the cultural fascination with Nordic <laughs> history in yes. games that has happened throughout since Skyrim came out. There have been a number of high-profile Viking and Nordic-themed games that have been coming out. You have Assassin's Creed Valhalla, God of War went to the Norselands, they, you you heard it here. You heard it here first, folks. God of War Four is copying Skyrim. <laughs> they took God. a game that was squarely set in Greek mythology, ripped out the main character, and threw him in the middle of Norse mythology. Here's <laughs> hoping hey, they do great. Egypt or Japan and next. <laughs> that is not a complaint. Is it insane? Yes. Does it work really, really well? But I, the reason so, I, I mentioned yes. this was to reference Skyrim is I think. Honestly, there have been a lot of discussions of people seeing these games and going, "Isn't this another like Skyrim style game coming out?" I think just oh, the, the, the blanket new... visual loose similarity is enough to remind people of Skyrim, which makes them oh, keep thinking like, about it's it. Like, Instead it's of a someone... Souls-like, people are gonna keep on calling uh, games Skyrim-esque. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's like it's like get someone thing. to play like a like a fifty sixty hour run of Skyrim and then plop them right in the middle of Assassin's Creed Valhalla and they'd be like, oh, I feel right at home. <laughs> Aesthetically, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got mods to make it the same gameplay. <laughs> you want to truly know. just nail home the similarities. Listen, listen. You wanna you wanna mod Skyrim to make it play like Assassin's Creed Valhalla. You wanna mod Skyrim to make it a worse game? Go for it. <laughs> Come right out and say it, jeez. Wow. Look, at least I have a functioning block button at all times in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> you know, you that's know, really that's, that's really my my only thing. I don't need the fancy dodges. I don't need anything else. Just give me a button that I can press that makes a block, and occasionally I can parry, and then I'm happy. <laughs> that's all I need. Yeah, just yeah, some I, defensive the, option. The thought behind the thought behind you have two swords in your hand. You cannot hold them up to stop someone from attacking you. 
You can't do huh? the like historical thing where people would often huh? carry an offhand thing to block with, huh? and then attack yeah, with the main had, weapon. Oh, carrying like, like a large sort of roundish metal device that attaches to their arm, and then you can hold it up to block attack. Yeah, but then I, I don't maybe with a buckle. But why then I don't look anime <laughs> in my Nordic game? <laughs> I'm sorry, we've gone off the rails. Is is does do do anime people just not use shields? I don't understand. Is this just not a thing? No, it's not true. Did you ever see Sword Art I mean, Online? Why two swords I mean, are I, in right no. now? You're talking to the wrong person, Ryan. I Look, mean, that was meant to have be you shade. seen them I wear armor that can stomp a blade? <laughs> Asking me if I've seen an anime. Hmm, I wonder. <laughs> I we wonder. forced you to see it a couple, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just the combination of, of things that have come through. Um, and then there's other, I think, exceptions here to things that have a very easy to point to reason for still existing, like Call of Duty and Battlefield. are just Those mm -hmm. are the games that come out in this genre, and they come out every couple of years. You get one, and then that's what you play. If you're into those games, you don't got anything else. And if it's well, horrendously bad, you go back to an earlier title. Well, also, those games have stuck around because their publishers have actively refused to just, like, leave us alone. <laughs> They're yeah. going to come out regardless. <laughs> it's brand recognition. Brand recognition is a big deal. It's Star Wars now is all about brand recognition. You got Disney doing it with everything. So, the big... Which, that is how, that is how I feel for, for Skyrim. Because especially, like, every year, it's like... You know, the cool E3, like, equivalent thing or whatever, where they're showing off new games. It's like, oh, it's this? Just oh, remind people Skyrim, Skyrim exists. Okay. <laughs> it's just, again, like, well, that's another uh, five-minute trailer Alexa. an 11-year-old game that everybody already knows exists that I don't need to pay attention to. And yeah. I'll just, I'll, and it is... Yeah, that'll be my bad. I think there's two ways to look at that. <laughs> there's the cynical way of this is just for the money, which... I can be certain that it's there's always money factoring into the decision because you have a development team to pay. Yeah. And you, what you use additional money in game development for is often to make sure that your other games, if they fail, don't bankrupt you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's another, another, another big one. So companies like Capcom can afford to have a bad game occasionally because, you know, they're not going to completely fail. It's why Square Enix can release, like, multiple bad Final Fantasies in a row. Is because they have other games that are doing well, and so they Why don't Bethesda need to can afford worry about to be it. Bethesda. Yeah, I mean Bethesda in this case now has Microsoft money behind them, and now that is true. Massive that is true. brand recognition. I'm just I forgot about that. Jesus. Yeah, well, it's, it really feels different as of right now. We'll see yeah. when Starfield comes around. If there's any other than their games changes. are just being, other than their games are just being dumped on Game Pass, and uh, whatever launcher Bethesda launcher they had is just not existent now. <laughs> like, that launcher was just a bad idea. <laughs> Yes. yes. Oh my god, having to be um, online to play the original Doom? Really strange decision. What? Uh, back to the, the, I think, the positive outlook on that same thing you were talking about, Brett, of like them showing this game again every year. Just availability. Because how many times do we talk about a game that we want to play that is just not possible to play? Yeah. Like, anything is, on the PS3. The anything PS2. on the PS3, PS2 is hard to play now because you're emulating... I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million times again. I want to play more Legend of Zelda games. All I have is a Switch. Look, if you put every single Nintendo. Legend of Zelda out individually for $30, I would buy, like, six of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think like, that 
you got so many options here, Nintendo. Um, just like make the Hyrule collection. If you make just if it's like even just three Zelda games, is, in this one is something Square Enix has realized. That's why people are talking about the Saga games again. It's because Square Enix realized you can just port yeah. them to a console, and then people will start talking about the weird esoteric PS One JRPGs <laughs> that never got things like Live Alive is back. Whoever thought Live Alive was going to be back? Never ever. Uh, but it's here now, and I think that's that's proved that sometimes all you need is to bring a game back and make it available to play. Like Tactics Over Reborn just came out, and I'm very excited to go and play a PS1 game <laughs> like, and I've never played before because I he keep hearing it's really cool and there's a new remake. And occasionally that's all you need, I think, to get a big audience behind your game is just if you have a way for someone to play it, I'm sure... You made Wind Waker available again. All the people that have never played Wind Waker will go play it. Um, especially for something like Ocarina of Time. If In Ocar Ocarina of Time remaster, not even a remake, but just a more good-looking remaster than the 3DS one came out, yeah. people would hop on that instantly. Um, so just give it modernized controls and you're good. And it's not that simple. <laughs> you can't just go into a... An N64 game and adjust the controls to make them modern. It's not quite how that works, but it's doable. It would probably want to get a better frame joystick. Rate. Yeah, I think people have done that by now. I think there is there is at oh, least one or two fan figured out how. Yeah, <laughs> and like total like texture it, it, redos and everything too. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It, yeah, those are good. It took a while. It took a while for N64 emulators to you know kind of figure it out but i feel like it's in a much better place than it used to be <laughs> yeah they, they used to suck it used to be horrible yeah. don't <laughs> get me started on ps1 emulators good god, <laughs> good yeah, god. they actually comparatively they're fine but you want to yeah, do yeah. something like n64 dreamcast oh jesus good luck yeah have fun buddy <laughs> hope you have a 4090 <laughs> yeah and there's well, something you know, and and the, uh, another thing i was thinking about too was like Sure, re reminding people that your game exists and then putting it out on other platforms helps. The other thing that's kind of like slept on in terms of how to keep a game alive, multimedia projects. I mean, yes. would people be replaying Cyberpunk and would they be talking about Cyberpunk in the way that they Very were if point. Edge Runners hadn't come out, right? People would be talking about the update if it was like if Edge Runners wasn't a thing, they still would do that update and the game would still be much better. But because Edge Runners was so good, People are now talking about it, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, I watched like, the didn't show." Did Cyberpunk break its Let's player count it. peak yeah. after Edge Runners? Like, it that, did. Yeah, that's totally. insane. That is not a thing that happens generally. You yeah. don't. After launch, you never reach that peak again. Most of the well, time. With that being, Unless, with that being like, said, oh. Unless you are a long-running first-person shooter franchise that had a recent outing that was so bad that people go back to. Two games ago <laughs> in 2016, and then broke its 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 like max player count. A I game love that Battlefield came out in One so much. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. <laughs> Sometimes well, to to appreciate a game, you gotta make a terrible one, you just and then have people to have go back to appreciate worse. the classics. Speaking you know? of speaking of multimedia and first person stuff, Bungie has reportedly have have uh, multiple irons in the fire of multimedia projects mm. uh, involving apparently a mobile app for something that may or may not be destiny related <laughs> something having to do with tv that's either either live action or anime so we'll see how those affect bungie when when they come out they can mm -hmm. keep them 
know, I, I do feel like there would be potential in a a Destiny mini series. Oh, there's potential. Whether or not they'll reach that, <laughs> I think it's a gigantic question mark. Because the history of Bungie IPs and TV it, shows is not good. That's yeah. if, if, <laughs> it is li if it is live action, I am going to burn it in a fire. If it's a nice little animated series like The Legend of Vox Machina, I I don't see a problem with that. I mean, listen, they probably do a lot of good stuff. If a if a Destiny show comes out and it's on a streaming platform that I can actually watch it on, I'll give it a try, and it may actually get me to give a shit about Destiny again. I don't know. Probably you not. But you don't have you to give know. a shit about Destiny. You can just give a shit about the show if it's good. If it's good. And if it exists. Well, Destiny, not just as a if game, real, but as like yeah. a franchise yeah. with, with, with all yeah. of its lore and everything. It might actually get me to care. I don't know. Who knows? Impossible. Yeah, I do think it's, that's <laughs> an interesting look at lore, like, lore daddy videos. How, how stories get planned. Because I do think a lot of it is franchise ability in terms of story has a big impact, but there's also a fine line to walk there in terms of you need to have an end point in sight or else mm. people will stop caring. Yeah. Which is yeah. the thing that has happened with many franchises that we don't talk about because they get forgotten. That's, that's <laughs> well, what it's, happens. It's happening, it's happening with a show that you and I are watching, Ryan, right now, where it has characters in it and we're dedicated to them and their re various relationships for a while, but it's gone on for so long that you're like, all right, let's... Let's get on with it. <laughs> let's, <laughs> we, let's, we need to, there needs to be some progression here, or else we're just watching the same yeah. thing every episode. Yeah. Um, which you can generally, like, there are shows that formulate like that in terms of stuff like sitcoms tends to follow that, but they tend to focus on trying to put characters in new and interesting situations every time. And then it's more about the characters than the actual show. And that can work for video games. Like, video games can definitely have a character-focused game that is a lot more loose in terms of what the story is. There's horror franchises do that all the time uh, mm -hmm. I'd say Resident Evil pretty cleanly fits in that bracket bizarrely. Silent Hill <laughs> uh, I don't know about Silent Hill I've only played two of Silent Hill so I feel like Silent Hill is very character based it's yeah it's very character based until they just stopped caring and things <laughs> that were specific to characters just got thrown in because this, this guy with the triangle on his head everybody knows him it doesn't matter he's gonna give us money uh... yep <laughs> But th that's when you run the risk of if you handle something wrong, people will be very angry. People and will notice. your franchise will be very poorly regarded. The Mass Effect problem in that case, I think, of taking a really popular and really well-liked IP and then just not giving it the shake that it deserved leads or to... Or live-action Master Chief. Yeah, it just leads to a lot of bad will towards the you franchise. remember the halo show guys you're really oh, what? little thing halo I what want to. there's a halo show yeah there's a live action halo show you should watch oh, it is there really? yourself I've... wow i've never heard of yeah, it i think, I think grand it's cherokees in, in it right <laughs> oh you're right <laughs> um yeah i i do think that's a, a big aspect of multimedia can do a lot for your games mm -hmm. uh, i think a classic example of that is hype trailers see the reason cg trailers were so popular for many many years is just that you can make a CG trailer for a story way before you often know what the game fully is. Um, so really well done live action trailers too. Would yeah. that, anyone that I feel like I haven't seen enough of? Would that. anyone care about Dead Island if it didn't have that amazing cinematic trailer? Mm -hmm. What like a year before it came out, the one that was all played in reverse and everything? Yeah, incredible, so well done. 
I mean, Borderlands. In no way reflective of the game in any way whatsoever, but it was really cool and it got people's attention. I have to wonder how much of the adoption rate of Borderlands is solely because of they chose to have the musical intro. Of, mm -hmm. I, I legitimately wonder, like, I think a significant number of people saw that and went, oh, this game is better than other things and stuck around because of that. Even if, like, it hasn't aged particularly well or is that interesting in the, the later period. I'm not talking about Borderlands 1 uh, in particular. Yeah. Because that game is not super special in terms of what it actually does, but the bits that land really well land really well. And so you are encouraged to stick around the whole time and see the rest of the game. Um, I think there's also just examples of high-quality bars that just haven't really been met yeah. recently, which is, I, I think, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. One and two are right there in terms of games oh, that are Tour. consistently remembered. If you're, if you think about a Star Wars video game, you're likely thinking of two franchises. You're thinking of Battlefront, and you're thinking of Kotor. Uh, disregarding newer stuff, I, I'm talking about legacy franchises. Even though there were many, many others, but those two franchises were huge at the time, and I would still say they have a lot of recognition. There's a reason that people were. Even at the rumor of a Knights of the Old Republic remake, people are frothing at the mouth to get at it because they want to play thank, that game again. And thank God we're finally getting one. I can't wait to play it. <laughs> I got news for you. Maybe it'll come out eventually. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath anymore. <laughs> we had our chance and we missed it. We lost. But the, the thing with those is they're not just games with a popular IP. They're games with a popular IP that did their own thing and did it really well. There's a, a line there of just try it, try an interesting new idea and occasionally you'll get a lot of people on board that will stick around forever. Because I think Outer Wilds is another good example of that. Of I have a feeling most people that have played Outer Wilds will play whatever that studio comes up with next solely Absolutely. because of Outer Wilds on blind faith. Because that game was Absolutely. so good. <laughs> um, same thing with Super uh, Supergiant. Yeah. Uh, Bastion people are really was so impressive. Them, yeah. Oh boy. That Every other game yeah. they make, people are, are on right behind them for it. Even if it's a weird sports game. <laughs> a party-based sports game. Guess what? I mean, if anyone's going to do it right, it's going to be them. I mean, listen, I don't care if it's Hades 2 or whatever they decide to do next. I'm going to be there for the next Supergiant game. I don't care what it is. I'm there. You already have my money. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, they're I, kind of combining... Kind of combining the last like three mini points, like didn't like like an E3 in the early 2000s when the PS3 was was like first coming out. I guess early comparative to now 2000s, it would uh -huh. be like mid 2000s. Uh, like they just showed like a, a like CGI cutscene from uh what if Final Fantasy VII but made now, and people were like, "You gotta remake this game right now, Square!" And they were like. Uh, Oh, oh, okay, oh. let's remake Final <laughs> Fantasy. Okay, woo! Yeah, let's do it. That? Like, just I, the, the trailer alone was, like, like that wasn't even... It probably was, like, a little bit of the plan, I would imagine. Like, oh, somewhere down the road, we'll do a Final Fantasy VII, like, remake or something like that. But the immediate but, like, reaction alone... to that is a big oh, kick yeah. to get started. Oh, like, there are dollar signs in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, you, you can watch, like, YouTube videos of the crowd reaction for that, and people just go insane for it it's it's yeah. kind of hilarious uh just like seeing seeing what things have become by now <laughs> yeah. and, but, and on that yeah. note and on that note too i feel like how you reveal a game can affect how 
long lasting that lasts in people's minds, right? Definitely. I've said this a million times, I'll say it again. The best reveal for a video game I've ever seen was God of War 2018. That was one of the coolest reveals for a game I've ever seen because oh, yeah. you had no idea it was God of War until Kratos steps on screen and then everyone lost it. <laughs> and it was it was one of the it was like it had gameplay, it had a little bit of bit of CG in it. It was a yeah. nice little surprise. No one knew it was coming. Perfect. I mean, I'd say the same for Ghost of Tsushima's initial reveal trailer. It's instantly captured a lot of interest, even though I believe the initial reveal for Ghost of Tsushima was not a gameplay trailer. Um, It was like a story trailer. Yeah. It was was the one with a shot of them fighting while the the tree leaves were falling, right? I think so, but I don't know if they actually showed gameplay. It was the flute guy. It was the flute guy, right? We knew about the game before that. Sure. Yeah, oh, that was the, okay. the game's other presentation. If the game was shown off and that was the first thing, I don't think anyone would have cared. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> but the gay single person would have cared about Ghost of Tsushima if they showed it with the flute guy first. <laughs> I mean, listen, but but back to what I said before, meme potential. That I, has its own... I guess. You know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a weird one. Didn't have a lot of mass appeal. <laughs> Put no. it that way. Not a lot of as as cool of a skill that, that is, it is a, a like three minute flute solo for over nothing that very few people know uh, much about is just kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> this is a very strange setup uh, that feels like it doesn't really have a payoff. But yeah, yeah, I think this is a thing that we'll continue to see a lot of approaches to as we go forward, especially with the reinstatement of in-person industry events and whatnot Mm -hmm. seeing the kind of hype culture that i think is part of the lifeblood of games in a way just in terms of like getting people interested in things that they may not have been interested in Uh, because inherently like when you're playing a video game you have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of money so you're going to spend it on things that appeal to you so unless you see something that is really cool and you hear other people say, oh, this thing is really cool, like people whisper the name Elden Ring and suddenly everyone wants to buy Elden Ring. It doesn't happen without those well-handled trailers and the reputation that a company can build. Yeah. So the I, I think a lot of having just, George R. R. Martin behind the story. Yeah. I think a lot of it is also just doing something for the first time, even if it's not executed super well. Is the Demon Souls? I think is a, a good example of that. Of like, Demon Souls is not the greatest game, but people are gonna remember that pretty much always because it's what created the Souls genre and mm-hmm. went forward to be like the blueprint for all of these other games. And he, and that does mean people are still gonna go back and play Demon Souls to see where it started, just out of curi- curiosity. Do you think the original or the the re remake remaster? Yes, to uh, both. both. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're pretty different in their own ways. It's, it's an interesting situation of, like, uh, playing the Final Fantasy VII remake, for me, made me go back and play Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> the original, yeah. which is two bizarrely different games, but, hey, if that's enough motivation to go replay the original game, then you did something right. You know, that's spend 40 hours playing a PS1 game. <laughs> it's an impressive accomplishment. Um, and I think a lot of it is just having... A balance of quality to exposure is really important because there you can have the greatest game that's ever been made. If nobody knows about it, 
there's no way aside from maybe yeah. word of mouth over time like dwarf fortress or if you show it too early and too often then it can yeah. get overhyped and people will have unreal unrealistic expectations and no matter how good the game is people will still have Little wanted more by a certain point if it's been if it's not been out for too long that's why uh, I think back to Fallout 4's reveal, and that was like the perfect amount of time for a hype cycle to last, was they show you Fallout 4, it's coming out in six months, get ready. Yeah, and then it yeah. launched on time and wasn't super delayed. Uh, I think that has a really big impact in terms of having your franchise be well-known and be like, hey, we're bringing back a thing that hasn't had an entry for a long time and it's going to be here soon. has a really big impact. Um, I think there there are exceptions to that of like Elder Scrolls Six's reveal happened because people were legitimately kind of concerned that there would not be an Elder Scrolls Six. Yeah. Like yeah. it hit long enough that people were like, "Is there actually going to be one? Is my favorite franchise just disappearing?" And they're like, "No, it's it's yeah. coming. It's just going to be a while." <laughs> Which that was is a fine. situation where Bethesda was like, "Shit, we got to go." Shit, but now <laughs> I really hope they wait to show gameplay until it's almost ready. Ready. Like yeah. we we know it's happening. Sit sit on it, sit on a release date, don't tell us until you're within a but year see, of it coming out. I feel like it's see, gonna be twenty twenty seven or twenty six at the earliest. But see, that's a that's a problem these days though, because how many times have we like seen a reveal for a game and they're like, Oh no, it's coming, it's coming, and then never comes out. Beyond I mean, good and evil too. I was Scorn. just about to say that. Scorn I think Scorn yep. is a good example of that. Yeah, it'd take a while forever to to yeah. release what was that other game we saw recently uh i want to say it might have been the game awards last year it might have been the xbox showcase that you have like one? a vhs gun horror game in the space station Ooh. oh yeah yeah that like it got first revealed in like 2012 or something yeah, super old thing that got revealed it, yeah. and then completely forgotten VHS for a while gun. We, we talked about it at length when we watched the trailer for it so yeah. it was go very many space horror games that seemingly showed up in lieu of this Dead this wasn't Space like appearing and then Dead this, Space came back. Yeah. This wasn't a first <laughs> version. All like, this crap. this wasn't the first version of the Callisto Protocol. No, no. no. It was yeah. it, it, Callisto Protocol was in the same show it was in. Yeah, but this was know. an indie project, I think. It was an indie thing that looked really, really cool, but was a thing that had started development many, many years ago and then completely Ooh. paused for a long time. Uh we'll find the name at some point. But I, I think a lot of that cycle is just Sometimes you let it go too long, and now people don't really care anymore. Uh, Duke Nukem Forever is another good example. People just... Yeah. God. Like, that game was in development since the late 90s, finally came out in 2012, and people are like, eh? I don't think people were like, eh. <laughs> people were like, like <laughs> armed and ready uh, to riot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, there are opportunities to have a long life cycle for something, and of course, like, I think the biggest way to do something like that is crowdfunded and you have constant updates mm -hmm. say what you will about star citizen but that game rakes in money without even existing you know what that's kind of genius have a game that never comes out but still makes you money that's that's incredible the most, you know, the thing is many you people have done that play. before <laughs> you can play star citizen right now and it's a pretty good game from what's there but they've promised so much more that yeah. it's not gonna release. That game will never come out until what they've stated. Like they said, the the squadron mode with Mark Hamill voicing a character was gonna come out like four years ago at this point, and every single year it gets pushed to the next year. It's comedy. 
this point. tradition at this point. <laughs> but they keep making money. They keep making money hand over fist because people are buying their multi-hundred dollar ships that they can't use and are completely digital, worthless Almost things. Almost like... Like like an NFT situation, kind of, Literally. but less scummy. Legitimately, it is. Star Citizen ships are basically NFTs. It might as well be. <laughs> it is bonkers uh, that you can buy something that just doesn't exist right now, um, and may or may not ever exist. It's very strange. It's just a, a weird situation. But I, I think in the terms of like we talked about Project Tamriel and Tamriel Rebuilt, are modding projects that have been going. At this point, it's got to be close to like twenty years. <laughs> so... Yeah, beyond beyond Skyrim has been, you know, for from since Skyrim's sake. But though those are those others are ancient. Yeah, and, and they keep going. They're not done. They may never finish, but they they release gradual updates that you can play, which means you have something to look forward to uh, occasionally. And I think that works because there is generally goodwill towards the community of those games in terms of like. Mod authors, occasionally a mod won't come out, but occasionally a big mod will come out, and it will be really, really cool. And then everyone's going to like it and want to play it. Um, video game developers don't necessarily have that luxury unless you're releasing something. I think if you're releasing something and you're like, hey, we're going to make Elder Scrolls Six after this, that's you can get away with that. But I, I'm just imagining the riots that would have happened if Starfield didn't exist. And Bethesda had gone from Fallout 4 to Skyrim, Elder Scrolls 6, in whenever it's going to come out. And people would just be like, what was going on? Like, legitimately, what was happening? Because you haven't updated any of your old games. You, you don't have a live service. You're not doing anything, seemingly. Um, you hit a, a point of just, what is happening? I don't think it happens often, but it is terrifying... On the, from the developer side to imagine what that would look like. Yeah. I'm sure it's very hard. I guess Bioware is probably going through that same thing right now. Just because... That is true. <laughs> kind of had to refocus. <laughs> recently. That's one way to put it. <laughs> after a string of... <laughs> uh, abject failures is maybe the correct words to use. Man, I wonder if we'll ever get an anthem to... <laughs> Don't even say it. <laughs> that is not possible. I do wonder. I That's wonder if Anthem is going to turn into one of these games that sticks around in the zeitgeist for a long time, just out of the knowledge that it basically destroyed current Bioware. Well, I wouldn't even say that it was the game that did that. I would say more so it was Mass Effect Andromeda. It was Mass Effect Andromeda that put them in the grave, and then Anthem mm. came by and just dug the grave. Slammed the nail. <laughs> Yeah. Now, now we've got yeah. Mass Effect, or not Mass Effect, Dragon Age, and and Mass Effect holding the lid of a coffin in the nail, respectively. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, Bioware! Oh God! Oh no! Hey, the, what they've said about Dragon Age Four is good. We'll see when that game comes out. You know what they said that was also very good. Another oh, EA project. Oh no, no, no! They were like, oh. Battlefield oh, 2042 is progressing nicely. Development's going great. They didn't have a scoreboard! <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think legitimately, sometimes the people that say that just have no idea. They just don't know what is actually happening. They're, yeah, they're literally just paid to say, oh, well, well you know, well, it doesn't I, I'm being help told that, that we're doing a good job. I guess we're doing a good job. Go it doesn't help that they're, that they're both under EA, so it's probably the yeah. same stupid idiot that's saying it. <laughs> 
at least the same stupid idiot ordering them to say that. I think we <laughs> yeah, all know yeah. who that is. <laughs> it's yeah. very easy to tell. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, it's just a. I, I think it's really. There are certain points where it's a lose lose, but you can win back that goodwill by releasing a good thing. Yeah, you definitely can. I think No Man's Sky has proven there is really no trench too deep to, to dig yourself out of. Uh, as long as you are willing yeah. to be a little bit humble <laughs> and admit that there was a mistake and climb back out of it. Yeah. Well, mm. and the difference there is that, like, you know, No Man's Sky is not owned by a, is not, did not have five other projects in the work, works and was owned by a giant publisher that gives the. Yeah, money. it was an indie studio that got a sudden influx of marketing money that they were not prepared yeah. for. They're, they're like, if this game isn't good, we have to make it good and we have no other choice. Yeah. And <laughs> another thing to talk about is. And run. <laughs> The thing with a developer like cause Sean Murray was primarily a developer and not a producer on the, that game. He's not a, a person that is used to speaking at these events. And what will happen if you're not used to speaking like that is you will talk about things that might be existing. They might be whiteboard design. You might have come up with this really cool thing that you're like, oh, we're totally going to do this. We're totally going to have like yeah. giant space worms because that's awesome. And we, we think we can do it. We have like an, a general idea, right? And then you realize, oh, none of this works. <laughs> and you're like, well, what do we do? Do we just not do it? Or or do we? Yeah. Because we've already told people we're going to do it. But is this really a thing people will care about? And if you roll the dice too many times on that and people did care about all of them, well, <laughs> you've left yourself in a spot. And now you have to add giant space worms later, which they did. <laughs> so uh, they, they got there <laughs> eventually. <laughs> Yeah, you can really dig yourself into a hole that way, and that's not necessarily the fault of a person. It's not de- definitely not being malicious. That I think all the people claiming that Sean Murray was like maliciously lying about what was theirs. Now these things probably existed. They just probably existed on one test planet, and they did not test them going to the entire like galaxies that they had mathed out, and they were like, well, now this doesn't work. We can't fix it before the game launches. Yeah. And we likely won't be able to fix it even if we delay it because we don't have any idea what to do because we have to finish the rest of the game. Um, And that's, I think, the cycle that a lot of games that get delayed repeatedly get into is you just have so much scope creep. That's probably what happened with Cyberpunk. Is you said so many things that you're like, oh, we're going to add wall running. We're going to add climbing on the walls with the Manus thing. We're going to have alternate pathways through every single dungeon or every single building you can go through. And past a certain point, you realize, well, this is just not doable. <laughs> this would this would take one level designer a couple of weeks minimum, and we have what three years to make a game. So, I guess you better hire more people. <laughs> it's a massive, yeah. massive like issue with designing games like that, which I think is why most developers just won't talk about it until it's functional, because. Yeah. If you talk about it too early, even if it is like a test functional, you might just realize this is not a, a thing that is possible to do with everything. So, if there's if there's anything that that the game industry has learned from people like Peter Molyneux, it's keep your mouth shut until you got something to show. <laughs> yeah, but make sure you have something cool to talk about. Just keep it to things that exist or things that are like narrative based or something that you can say, Hey, we're going to have this really cool story in Skyrim about the civil war. And then people are like, well, the civil war exists. It's very disappointing, <laughs> but you know, it's there. They didn't lie about it. <laughs> so It does I, I, in fact exist. 
It exists and it's it's kind of functional. You can do it from start to end, maybe. As long as you don't get stuck on a rock somewhere. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really just a lot of combinations of factors that go into keeping a game like this around. Especially because we're, we're kind of topping, talking divorced from live service. Because yeah. live service is really just dependent on your players sticking around. Um, and how long the developer actually keeps up the service. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the, the easy answer what... for... Oh, go ahead, Brett. I was going to say, depending on what kind of game it is, too, like, when, you know, just not not too long ago, uh, 343 was like, yeah, we're, we're cutting the servers for Halo 3 on Xbox Live or whatever. You know, after, like, all this stuff that you're earning in this live service for Halo Infinite that's going on for years and years or so they've planned, it's going to be turned into nothing eventually because it is a multiplayer online game and eventually no matter what it is unless it's like world of warcraft like it's it's gonna it's gonna not exist yeah and there's different views you can kind of take on that i think that's where the the point of if you're if you go in knowing when you buy a thing in a game like this you are going to use this thing for a couple hours get your enjoyment out of it and then probably never touch it again like Mm -hmm. don't go in expecting that you're going to come back in 20 years and open up your your Destiny two and see your old helmet there that you use. Maybe maybe the server will still they be up. It. Maybe you can check it in. But at that point, they're going to have moved on, and you're not going to be showing it off to people. And I think most people know that because in real life, you buy a car, eventually it's going to break, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There there is still a an element of of temporality to most things that you can buy with real money in real circumstances, but. I think with video games, it's something that hasn't really been explored, and we'll we'll see if like a storefront shuts down at some point, whether or not that has huge Im- impacts. Of, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe Uplay shuts down in the future, and everyone loses access to all their games. So that sucks. I'll, I'll be I'll be mad about it for a moment, and then I'll go play the newest thing because inevitably <laughs> that's what will happen. <laughs> the the kind of curse of of digital era. Oh no, I can't play yeah. Assassin's Creed Valhalla anymore. What am I going to do? I will be upset if I can't play on 0800 anymore. That w- that will be legitimately infuriating. But... Elon Musk is going to try to buy Steam for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Don't no. give him ideas. Do not give him ideas. Hey, at least Steam is not a publicly traded company. <laughs> they, mm, yeah. You can't just strong arm it. And you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to go to a subscription service just to access the store page. <laughs> truly, truly terrible, man. Yeah, Viridian, no, we'll never die. Kill please. the vibe. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. We'll talk about Twitter if it dies at some point. <laughs> listen, listen. As someone who doesn't care and doesn't use Twitter, I'm taking a look back and I'm just looking at this sinking ship and I'm like, this is an enjoyable sinking I, ship. I, same here. Great. I'm grabbing some marshmallows <laughs> and hoisting them over its fire. I got, I got my nice tub of popcorn. I got my, I got my root beer and I'm like, let's, let's watch this all burn down, baby. I, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised. I was expecting me to be the, like, the only <laughs> guy that was like, I'm not popular, so I don't care what happens to all of these famous people. But I'm very glad to see that none of us are popular on Twitter. I also think it's, there's been a reaction here of like the majority of people also don't care. It's 
it's I, it's it's the same thing that always happens on we don't want to stand on this tangent for too long but it's worth saying so that we oh, have it's fine. Our, i think we're largely done with this conversation. for the most part yeah unless so. we want to talk about like mods for more often money i know you wanted to well to we'll do a dedicated that. modding episode at one point i think okay we'll we'll wait um, for a big thing to release yeah but for for you know for most people that aren't the 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 whiny people that Twitter has become infamous for housing against its own will because it's the internet, of course. Um, for us, we don't have like a bajillion followers. We don't have a blue check mark. None of us ever did in the first place. So it's just, oh, okay. I guess my my uh, for for me at least, as as an artist trying to get eyes on me so that people can ask for commissions and stuff. I that's oh, okay. My struggle has not changed whatsoever. Back at to all, Tumblr. In slightest. It's, or if anything, back to Tumblr. Um, yeah. Tumblr. And from from our point of view, I think seeing people with just only only eight dollars to impersonate a multi-trillion dollar pharmaceutical company and with one post make them lose twenty billion dollars of stock in an instant because you post that insulin is free now, that's incredible. That is absolutely it's... incredible. I, I'm not saying that, oh, Elon's great for, for he planned this. And this is a, no, that's the dumbest absolutely thing not. ever. <laughs> absolutely not. Man, the, the fact that people smart enough to plan something like absolutely this. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Twitter now doesn't have enough people working there to stop it from happening, I, I'm yeah, they, sure. They've all been let go. <laughs> exactly, I, yeah. The, the, way, the way that he got rid of the stuff is like, okay, whoever has written the fewest amount of co uh, the fewest lines of code, you're gone. <laughs> I do not understand. What kind of thought process does he not have to have to understand that that's not a good idea? Oh, don't worry, guys. Don't worry, guys. It's not going to have any ads anymore. There's going to be way less ads. Wait, how do we make money again? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, well that's oh, the other no. misunderstanding. <laughs> Twitter was never designed to make money. It was not a, no. a company that oh, meant to make money. Man. It was a company that and existed... Now... For the communication, they would maybe keep themselves running with ads, but they weren't going to make money off of it. Exactly. Like, that's the, and now, the God misconception. Willing, it, and now, God willing, it is designed to bankrupt Elon Musk. <laughs> it's just bizarre, because it's wonderful. someone coming in completely not understanding that Twitter is not a platform that ever makes money. Twitter is the platform where people go to find some other place to make money. Right? Yeah. It's, if, you have, if you're an artist there, you use it to link to your Patreon or your other platform if you're a, a developer of a game or you're someone that's working on a movie you use it as a platform to say here this is the release date for our cool new thing go check it out when it comes out and that's how you make your money you don't listen listen you guys are giving elon musk enough credit this guy is so smart this guy says he's going to buy an entire social media platform and then backs out and then gets sued by that exact social media platform and then decides to buy it anyway and then the first day he works what does there, it decide he has to or else he's in, <laughs> deep in the hole with legal issues he's so smart so smart mm. yep did you see that apparently he's uh, oh, he's God. in talks or at least considering going into talks with uh, Google to have uh, to try to buy YouTubers into posting to, to Twitter <laughs> their their long form YouTube style content on Twitter where you can't have like videos that are longer than like two minutes unless you like now pay because you and have Twitter's to be video player is also it's notoriously like, terrible and doesn't work terrible <sighs> oh man. 
I, just, I, I think people are, are going to quickly learn the limitations of the average person's ability to deal with just extraneous crap. He's done mm -hmm. stupid mm -hmm. stuff before, but this is actually brain dead. Look, for anyone yeah, who man. is spending too much time looking at this stuff, just go read a book. You'll have more fun. It'll read, be much better. Yeah. Go read Lord you'll of the Rings or something. You'll actually, like, like grow <laughs> new brain cells rather than kill them on Twitter. <laughs> read a book, or if you're going to think about something like this, think about the time when everybody, to a very similar degree, was up in arms about how YouTube was falling apart and everyone has to move to, to Vimeo or something else immediately because YouTube is dead, it's gone, it's going to be dead within the next three years. That was probably like in our like freshman year-ish of college that that was the big thing. Almost nothing has changed at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is it like a better place? No, but it's it's nothing's changed. It's the same. You can still make content almost the same way. It's just yeah. if different things are annoying now than what they used to be. If you're if you're deal. if you're on Twitter a lot and you're worried about it, you know maybe maybe do something with your life that'll actually affect. Go your on life. Skyrim go watch, for a couple go watch, hours. Go watch a Saturday morning cartoon. Something with a bit more, uh, bit more. Uh, it'll just it'll just be a more positive impact on your life. You know what I mean? Just just anything. You know. Yep. All right. Well, after that tangent, I think we're largely done. I think the tangent signals the end of the discussion, for the most part. I, I yep. think paired with everything we said last week, we have a good covering of everything we were talking about. So mm -hmm. we're going to jump straight to shoutouts. We're going to have a, a nice, nice little closing ceremony here where we talk about good things. I don't know unless someone has something bad that they wanted to mention. I'm I will move down. I have a, a fun little thing, I guess. Yeah. Do you guys know there's a uh, a bear in the the Toblerone Mountain logo, not sponsored. Did you not know that? A no, bear. no. It he he's there. He's chilling. I wonder if that's Toblerone. <laughs> the, <laughs> Toblerone, Toblerone the bear. Toblerone the bear. <laughs> Toblerone the bear. <laughs> right. Who else is ready? I have one. Um, I. I'm I'm destroying uh, my my previous reputation of being stingy man who only watches anime from the 90s. Uh, I am now watching two seasonal anime, one on top Incredible. of Gundam, uh, and it is Bachi the Rock! Exclamation point is probably the funniest show I've seen in a very long time. It's the one with the girl with the pink hair who lies on the ground and screams and glitches out because she's having a panic attack. Because one of her friends said that she should make an Instagram. And if that isn't the most <laughs> somehow twistedly relatable thing to you, then you don't have... You, you, you are banished from the social media. You anxiety. are the target audience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is so, so good. I highly recommend it. Uh, my my shout-out goes to a, a game that... A friend of not just mine, but several people in this podcast uh, made. It's called This Halloween Night. It is currently, I believe it is in a beta form, out on uh, itch.io at the moment. It's a very fun premise for a uh, little turn-based, sort of uh, narrative-based JRPG. And they're coming out with new costumes for it all the time. New, like, little DLC packs for it all the time. And it's something that a friend of ours has port poured his heart and soul into and you should go show it some love because it's an incredibly well-made project for for uh you know for such a yep. small team yeah if you like it they got a patreon too yeah uh, trucking along making games is hard 
Very. All right. Well, my shout out for this week is someone who had the gall to make Skyrim not give you perk points when you level up. And instead, you actually have to play the game and you find them around the world. And for they, some reason, they... it's mind boggling. I didn't think this was a thing that was possible. It's such they a simple change, but it's so cool. They did the Crazy. ESO Sky Shard type type thingy. Yeah, but right? you also for, get them. You get them from certain points. quest completions, and you get them for like you can go in a dungeon and find a thing that gives you one. And all of a sudden, I'm exploring again in a game <laughs> that I've played a hundred times. It's incredible. I don't know whoever had this idea to just get rid of the perk points and put them out somewhere else. Is great. I, wild. I no company would ever try this because it's bizarre and it's very unintuitive. But if you're willing to read a few wiki pages and be like, oh, this is what happens. You should just play the game and go explore, and that's how you get them? Cool. You get them by doing radiant quests. You know those things that you had no reason to ever do in Skyrim that are actually sometimes kind of cool? Now you can go do them and you get perk points. Wild. Bizarre. Neat. Sometimes this what is a world we, we live we, in. We like mods. Wow. Crazy. Kind of bizarre things. Well, that's going to do us in for today. As always, podcast 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the podcast platform of your choice. Next week is not the Thanksgiving episode, but the week after that will be the, the Thanksgiving Games Club. We got lots of lots of Game Pass games to talk about. And by lots, I mean four. It'll be a thick one. It'll be a thick one. Real chunky. It's going to be stuffed with a